Hi, and welcome to my podcast, The Only Girl on the Job Site. I'm glad you found me. I'm Renee Beery, and I love empowering women to take on home projects, both large and small. I have been the only girl on the job site for the past 27 years, and I have seen it all. The good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. With my help, I hope you will be able to avoid the mistakes I've seen in the past and go into your project confident and knowledgeable about the industry so that your project is as smooth and successful as possible. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Over the past few weeks, while promoting the Only Girl on the Job Site Designer Edition, this has provided me the opportunity to talk with so many different designers from all over the country, outside of the country, and hear their experiences, their hopes for their businesses, their dreams to be adding construction management to their client services, or how to improve and package those services to build even more clients and ideally build a waiting list for their firm. And these are the goals of any interior designers and ones we constantly strive to achieve. It's just challenging, like I'm constantly saying, when you are working alone or in a very small team, which statistically is how interior designers work. So today I wanted to go over two areas that I think are difficult to being an interior designer offering construction management services. And, and how I overcome them and how I strategically put things in place in order to avoid them, in fact. And the first is, is obvious. It's being the only girl. And I know I have talked about this a lot lately, but it really does bear constant repeating because there are inherent issues with being the only anything. Like I said in last week's podcast, just being the only anything innately has its challenges. So being the only girl on a team of possibly 5, 10, 15 guys can be difficult. Now, the obvious feelings can be intimidation or fear of the unknown. But the others can be much more complex because you are an equal on this team, or in some cases, you are leading this team. And therefore, not only do you need to be heard, but you need to be respected. And that has its own challenges when, again, you are the only anything. So how I overcome that is building my own confidence. And that can come over time, managing projects that end well, managing projects that have lots of bumps, but learning from each one and applying that knowledge to the next project, as well as leaning on my personal community, my best friends from design school, and having them boost me when I need it or strategize with me when I need that. This has been really critical. And I undervalued how important that component is to my success until I started talking to other designers who don't have that support group and are really desperate to have their thoughts heard and issues worked through. So that is a critical component of the course and one that I am really excited to build out as we get together and learn and grow from our own personal experiences. 
But the second issue I deal with on construction sites, regardless of gender, is being the only interior designer on the project. So let's be real. The profession of interior design has not always been seen as very professional. And I think this stems from the lack of licensing in our industry. The fact that there are no baseline credentials required in order to hang a shingle outside and call yourself an interior designer, I think is very confusing to the end user because quite frankly, anyone can call themselves an interior designer. And there's really no way of comparing apples to oranges to lemons to bananas because there are no requirements in our industry. Now, I earned a graduate degree in in interior design from an accredited school, the New York School of Interior Design. And I went on to take the NCIDQ, which is the National Council of Interior Design Qualification Board exams and passed. So I have achieved the highest level of licensing requirements in our country. However, not every state requires that. Delaware, for instance, does not require that. And given the number of years I have practiced, if they did change that legislation, which they're not likely to, I would be grandfathered in likely. I think that is what holds back interior designers and why we can struggle on these job sites being seen as a professional. And that is one area that I see as a challenge with every new job I start when the rest of the team doesn't know me, doesn't know my credentials, and doesn't know my background. I am in the defensive position of proving my qualifications, proving the reason I am needed on that job site. And don't get me wrong, we are incredibly needed on these job sites. As I've said before, interior designers see things so differently than architects and incredibly differently than contractors. So we have an enormous value to add to these projects, and it is the interior designer's job to prove that. And that's not necessarily fair. You don't see an architect proving why they need to be on a project. You don't see a contractor proving why he has to be on a project. But you do see interior designers having to prove their need. And that is something I don't see changing anytime soon. And why, again, a community that builds strategies together, can benefit all interior designers who are looking to either stay on construction sites or build that service into their business. So those are two areas that I promise I still struggle with on occasion. And it's no less enjoyable on each round, but they do get easier because I have strategies. I know how to manage a team who doesn't know me. I know the steps that I take initially to put their minds at rest, that I am going to be there as an equal, add value to their conversations, and also, by the way, help them get the project from point A to point B. And those are critical pieces to my success and ones that I I love sharing with other designers. Because our industry doesn't have licensing requirements, I believe we have small wins every day when interior designers disprove the stereotypes that these contractors and architects come at us with. And that's my goal. If we can't get licensing, then let's prove them wrong. And the only way to prove them wrong is one at a time with a successful project. And that's why I think this is so critical for us to share information, to open up, to be 
receptive to new strategies, new ideas, myself included. I'm always listening to how others handle similar situations that I go through. And so this sharing, the past couple of weeks have just been amazing. I have been picking up tips. And this one woman was telling me something. I thought, that's a great idea. I'm going to try that. I have a new project starting in October. And in fact, I don't know the full team. So I'm going to actually try this woman's tip and see if that streamlines things even further. But what I do want to say is I love doing what I do. I wouldn't want my year to be structured any other way than ideally 60% construction and 40% decorating. It's just what makes me the happiest. And there's two reasons for that. One, I love that I can offer my clients essentially soup to nuts. If they're decorating their living room, but then want to redo their kitchen, I can do both. They don't need to call another service provider to help them with that. Now, I'm sure there's some kitchen and bath designers that are listening to me and cringing when I say that. And, and I have no problem with that subsection of the industry. The problem is an interior designer, someone seasoned like me, can do them all. Whether it's a kitchen, a bath, a living room, a family room, a fireplace, it doesn't matter what you're renovating. There are some people who have just niched down to kitchens and baths, and for that, I applaud them. But if you don't niche down and you do a general construction management, don't be afraid to insert yourself into the conversation about a kitchen and a bath. You don't have to specialize in those two spaces in order to be really good at them. So those are the things that I enjoy, that my clients feel confident and comfortable knowing that if this coming year we're decorating, but next year they're going to be renovating, that there's a continuation in services I am a known quantity that they trust and know that I have the people that they will need, which will streamline their entire process. It's just a great feeling and one that I love explaining to new clients who call me maybe just for decorating. They're often stunned that they can come to me for those renovation projects as well. But the best thing I love about doing both construction and decorating is the creativity it allows me. I do love decorating. I love the planning stages when you lay out rooms and see how clever you can be. But construction bends my brain in a totally different direction as far as creativity. As I've mentioned numerous times, construction is full of changes, full of surprise, full of opportunities to make me think, to go back to a drawing board, to pivot, to research. I just love that component of what I do for a living. And that's why I encourage designers, not only because of the changes that have been happening in the decorating side of our business, and I promise we'll continue to change, and I'm fairly confident we'll continue to impact our industry Construction allows a level of creativity that decorating just simply doesn't. And I really want to encourage designers to think about adding those services on to their decorating services if they aren't already. And if you have started dipping your toe into renovation management, I highly recommend you 
invest more time and energy into that side of your business. I really believe that is going to sustain our industry in the coming years and decades ahead as the world of furniture and furnishings will continue to evolve and be much more accessible. I really believe that the construction side of it will sustain our industry and really highlight the level of creativity and value that we can bring to projects. It's just so full of opportunities. And I really want to get that across to the designers listening to me today. So this is all included in the course. I am loving all of the conversations that this has brought up and that the ongoing and the new friends I have made throughout this process, for me, that is priceless. Because as you all know, I work alone. Aside from support staff, I am the only girl on the job site, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. So I love these podcasts. I love coming here and sharing with you all and then getting the feedback and the stories and the connections that you all send to me after listening. It has just been an amazing experience, and I'm looking forward to more to come. So this is the final episode for the summer. I can't believe that we've been doing this since I believe early November was my first podcast. So if you haven't had a chance, I would love it if you could rate and review the podcast. It means so much to me how supportive you all have been. So I have some exciting topics to cover this September. I have some exciting interviews coming this fall, and I can't wait to share it all with you. But in the meantime, thank you for sharing your time with me today. And I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to reach out to me. You can email me or direct message me through social media, and we can start a conversation about what it is you're going through right now. That will also help me come up with other ideas for future podcasts that I can share with everyone. As I assure you, we're all in the same boat together. I would really appreciate it if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave me a review. If you would like to find out more about me and what I can do, please go to my website, www.devignedesign.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope to hear from you soon.